Support for another round comes from Squarespace. So once upon a time I had this web I technically still have a website. I just don't tell people to look at it because it looks like not great. And it looks not great because I didn't <laughs> go with people who knew what they were doing, like Squarespace. Um, you can start building your own website today at squarespace.com. And if you enter offer code another round at checkout, you get 10% off your first purchase. Say what? Boom. Squarespace. Build it beautiful. All right, Tracy. Cheers. To the union. To the revolution. revolution. <laughs> and to the White House. Hi, everyone. I'm Heaven. I'm Tracy. And welcome to another round with Heaven and Tracy. DC edition. We're in DC. Yes. <laughs> Why are we in DC, Tracy? Hanging out. Just doing stuff. I got cousins up here, you know. <laughs> um, we're going to the freaking White House. Oh my God. I've never even walked past the White House. Now they're going <laughs> to let me go inside. Yo, I, I can't believe they're letting us in. Do you think they know what they've just done? <laughs> <laughs> Don't say that. I'm sorry. Just playing. Just playing. <laughs> we're going to the White House to interview Valerie Jarrett, senior advisor to President Barack Obama. This week is the last State of the Union of the Obama presidency. So we have a lot to talk about. And she's basically the person, one of like three people who are like the most important in the White House right now. I'm trying to take some notes on how to listen. Yes. How to upgrade my life. <laughs> how? How do you do that? We're going to learn. We're going to learn today. I don't, I don't even know what an advisor does. Just advise. Just talk. Yeah. <laughs> Obama, I don't know. Mm-mm, them socks, but that suit. No. <laughs> Not uh, today. Sir, I have to respectfully ask, what are those? (laughs) That's what I imagine happens in the White House when you're an advisor. (laughs) God bless her. I'm so excited. Maybe she'll finally tell me what Obama smells like. You know, I wouldn't ask that. Oh, my God. (laughs) We're trying to get invited back, Tracy. True, true. So before we head to the freaking White House, which is a thing that is going to happen, let's do a quick what happened was because I have a story that I personally find completely hilarious. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I'm listening. I have not laughed harder at anything in the past month, I don't think. Okay. So I have this dad, right? (laughs) I have this dad. (laughs) He's pretty cool. He's all right. He, um... My entire family is from Kentucky, which means my entire family is basically like country. But he is like, (laughs) my grandmother and like her siblings are like old country. And Mm -hmm. he's like current country, right? So he's got like, I know, I'm going to try to explain (laughs) it. So like he is like, he's got like the dad humor with like this accent, but not like an old black man accent. Okay. You just have to meet my dad, apparently. Okay. So anyway. What is old country? So old country is like... <laughs> old country, I imagine, is like you're going to the homeland. <laughs> <laughs> okay, not that. Not that. I'm thinking like old country is in like uh, a little southern town in like the 50s and 60s, like dirt roads and mm-hmm. like people like sit out on their front porches and like rocking chairs. So it's not like a dialectic everybody who difference? Like, it's more of a... It kind of is. It kind of is. Okay, so difference? so let me say it this way. Okay. I just realized that maybe one day my father might realize what podcasts are. And he <laughs> might listen to this episode one day. And I hope, Father, if you're listening, 
I say all of this out of great love and esteem for you and your countryness and this my countryness as well. Not yeah, yeah, no, no, no. My dad is my dad is great and hilarious for a lot of different reasons. Okay. So over Christmas break, I went home to Louisville. I'm a notorious last minute Christmas shopper. Usually, I don't get started until Christmas Eve. <laughs> this year, got ahead of the game. Started on like the 23rd or the 22nd. <laughs> Bam, knocked it all out. So he and I, he comes to pick me up as he always does every year. And we go to the mall and like he has very little patience for like um, browsing. I was looking for, <laughs> I was looking for a New Year's Eve dress. I'm like, I'm running this H&M real quick. <laughs> I'm running I'm going to run to H&M real quick and like just take a quick look around. And he walked in with me a little bit and he was like, oh, you're going to be here for a while. <laughs> like I could tell that that's like, what, like I could see the gears yeah, in his yeah. head turning. And so he's leaving. And he also has like a, a slight stutter, mm-hmm. which I sort of do too when I'm like trying to talk too fast. And like my brain has not caught up with my mouth. Right. Mm-hmm. And the stutter plus the the accent and just plus being a dad. <laughs> <laughs> This is what this man said to me. <laughs> he was like, "Okay, yeah, I'm a uh, just come to the uh, I'm a uh, with your phone. Just take just uh, hit me on the buzz." <laughs> <laughs> that is not a thing he ever heard anybody else say. <laughs> hit me on the buzz, and the thing is, it didn't hit me until like a full half a minute later. <laughs> he was like, "Yeah, just hit me on the buzz." I was like, "All right." <laughs> then I was like, "Hit me on the buzz." <laughs> It sounds like a fake thing white people would say in the 90s. When they're trying to imitate black people, right? Yeah, they're like, we're getting jiggy with it. Oh, hit me on the bus. bus. Money G, dog. I was just like, can we please make this a thing for the rest of your lives? When you want somebody to text you, please say, hit me on the bus. bus. So I swear to you, since then, whenever I told somebody to text me, I was like, all right, just hit me on the bus. (laughs) They were like, I'm sorry, what? (laughs) I really want to get this trending. Everybody listening, please, for 2016. Brought to you by another round. Hit me on the bus. (laughs) Hashtag hit me on the bus. Don't even make this a thing. Don't explain it to your friends. Don't just say it. Just assume they know know what you mean. (laughs) Because oddly enough, I knew what he meant to mean. (laughs) Hit me on the bus. Hit me on the bus. (laughs) (laughs) My dad's so precious. Hit me on the bus. Yo, there should be a trap remix. (gasps) Hit me on the bus. Hit me on the bus. Hey. Hit me on the bus. Hey. Hey. You could Dougie to it. (laughs) Come on. All right, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we will be in the White House with Valerie Jarrett. But But first, first, a word from our sponsor. (laughs) Say you're out at like a happy hour, like a networking mixer thing or whatever. And you meet somebody, right? And they're like, oh, here's my car. Check out my website. And then you go to their website and it's like... It's trash. 1998 (laughs) (laughs) So embarrassing. And you feel so sad for this person who's probably nice and probably smart, but their website sucks. And so Mm. you're like, I can't have you in my life. Here's a great way to avoid that, everybody. Squarespace.com. 
With Squarespace.com, sites look professionally designed regardless of your skill level. There's no coding required. So if your HTML chops are limited to making a Black Planet page back in the day, that's okay. There are intuitive and easy-to-use tools. And if you sign up for a year with Squarespace.com, you get a free domain. What? Who doesn't like free stuff? Uh, I do. Everybody does. Yes, you're right. You're right. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not special. (laughs) So start your free trial today at Squarespace.com. When you sign up, use offer code another round and get 10% off your first purchase. Who doesn't love getting 10% off of stuff? And who doesn't love sharing that they love another round? Come on. Come on, son. Damn. Two and one. Two and one. Squarespace. Build it beautiful. I was so excited to hear you're a Woodford fan. <laughs> so Good excited. Kentucky bourbon. Good choice. Good choice. Oh, yeah. Well, where's the, where's the bourbon? Yeah. I got, there it is. You're giving me water. <laughs> So we are very excited today to be in the White House interviewing Valerie Jarrett. Ah. If you are not familiar with her bio, she's senior advisor to President Barack Obama. She oversees the Office of Public Engagement and Intergovernmental Affairs and chairs the White House Council on Women and Girls. And she was also described in BuzzFeed as one of the most powerful black women in American history. Oh, my goodness, heaven. Welcome, Miss Jarrett. (laughs) Well, thank you, heaven. Thank you, Tracy. Welcome to the White House. I'm delighted to have you both here. I've been looking forward to our chat. So should we begin with a little toast? Oh, my God. Yes. Thank you for drinking with us. Happy New Year. You as well. You are here on the beginning of the second half of our fourth quarter. Mm. And we've had a pretty extraordinary week. So we're off to a good start. Perfect. Absolutely. Wonderful job numbers today. (laughs) Mm. Uh, Well done. Well done all. Oh, my. (laughs) That's quite tasty. All right. So the State of the Union is this week. It's the last State of the Union of the Obama administration. I know. It's so is hard it, to believe this is it. <laughs> is it going to end with like a mic drop? Is it like he's, he's going to come out, do the crip right. walk like Serena? That's a really like, good idea. It feels like towards the end, like as the administration is coming to a close, he's getting like a little looser. He's clapping back a little more. He's like telling people, you know what I'm saying? Speech, if you want to pop out, like, why are you pop popping off? off? Right. So <laughs> my, my fantasy for this is yeah. for Obama to walk in and like a do-rag and like his robe. <laughs> And he's like, what up? What's going on? What this about is what he it could is. have a dashiki on? You know? Yes, that's what I'm saying. Can you please like pass these notes I will along. pass that on to him. I will say this to you, and I'm not going to get out ahead of him on his speech, but I just spoke with him a few minutes ago, and he really, notwithstanding that we have been through a really tough seven years, and when I say we, I really mean the American people. Obviously, you know, when he took office, we were losing like 750,000 jobs a month. And now we've had, I think it's our 70th straight month of private sector job growth. We had a great jobs number on the beginning of this month. Uh, So we've come a long way through some really tough times. And he is so optimistic about our future. So optimistic about our future. Now, a lot of people that you're hearing who would like this office are not so optimistic. (laughs) This is still the greatest country on earth. Mm -hmm. And so I think his speech will really talk about our country and his vision for the future of our country. 
How involved with you were the writing and putting together the speech? This is a very personal one. So he's spending a lot of time himself. Uh, we went to the town hall meeting that CNN sponsored, to, talking about gun violence and what can, we can do to, to end gun violence. And when we rode back from that town hall, he said he was going to stay up and really work on the speech himself. So this is, he really owns this speech, and that's as it should be for his last one. While we're on the topic, I do for a moment want to talk about the kind of frustrating, depressing conversations about gun control. I mean, I say that because he's been emotional, he's been angry, he's been stern, he's been practical. Children are like all over national headlines in like incredibly tragic situations. And I'm curious, what would it take for change to really happen? Well, this is the perfect question. And as he said, when he gave those very emotional remarks last Tuesday, and then again at the town hall, Just because you're hopeful and optimistic doesn't mean change is easy. Right. Change is always hard in our country. And in this case, there are some entrenched special interests Mm. that have a stranglehold on Congress. Because that's the only explanation for why after those 20 little darling children and six adults were massacred and 90% of the American people supported sensible background checks. I mean, you just ask yourself this question. You want to go buy a gun. You go to Walmart and you fill out an application, background check, three days it comes back. If you clear, you get your gun. Why is that so hard? Why should not every American who wants to buy a gun go through that? That's not an infringement on the Second Amendment. That's just saying let's keep us all as safe as we can. And so there is not an issue, heaven, that has frustrated him more Mm -hmm. than our inability to get Congress to act. Now, I will say a good sign is this, is, is that Cities and states around the country are passing laws. So, for example, we have 20 states that have passed laws that prohibit people who have been convicted of domestic violence from having weapons because the statistics are staggering on women who are killed by boyfriends, husbands, loved ones who have a history of domestic violence. And so that's good news. We also have 18 states that have strengthened their background checks including Connecticut. So what Connecticut has done, this is really an important data point, because a lot of times, even at the town hall, we heard people saying, well, background check isn't going to do anything because the people who are buying the guns, well, they're going to buy them anyway. Criminals are going to get them anyway. Connecticut passed their law to strengthen the background check system. Gun violence has gone down by 40%. Oh, wow. 40%. So the answer to your question Heaven is, is that the American people are going to have to really create so much pressure on Congress that they have no choice mm. but to act. Mm-hmm. Why am I the only one sipping? You oh, know, we were right, just right. Okay, let's I mean, let's get real for a second. Take a let's take a sip and get real for a second. Let's talk a little bit more about you. Yes. Oh, dear. <laughs> you are a very mysterious lady. Am I? You are. Do I you? seem mysterious to you right no, now? No, not just in this moment. No. Not in this See, moment. You're very but in our engaging. research, it was very hard to find a lot of information about really? you. Really? Yes. yes. All right, well, so let's break it down. What would you like to know? <laughs> let's get into it. So you are one of few, maybe like two people who are, to quote one of our favorite Hamilton songs, you are in the room where it happens. <laughs> well, I won't say. I was about to say. <laughs> I will yes, sing with you. You, you please, can see I'm about to break. Oh, my God. I love that. That song. I've seen it twice. I'm going to go back because my daughter hasn't seen it yet, so oh I've got to take her back. I play the soundtrack every day when I'm uh, working out. I was listening to it this morning. Okay. That's a, but that's the thing. In the room. None of us will. <laughs> All right. That was as far as I'm going to go. <laughs> that's the thing none of us will ever get to experience. Yeah. What is it like 
to be in the room when it happens? What does power feel like? Well, I'll tell you, it's interesting. I believe that great presidents emerge from times of enormous challenge. If you look at our nation's history, well, the president has had enormous challenges. And so we've never really had the luxury of sitting back and admiring our circumstances because there's been so much to do. And so I think I will be able to answer that question better a year and a half from now than I can right now. Right now, I can just tell you that it's like drinking out of a fire hydrant with so much coming at us, but yet the president always has this clear vision of where he wants to take the country. And so here we are trying to push in the right direction while you've got all of this incoming. But it's such a privilege. I mean, there isn't a day when I walk in um, the doors where I don't pinch myself and say, I cannot believe I work in the White House. Growing up, my father grew up in D.C. Mm -hmm. Never had been to the White House until this president was elected. Had been outside the gate, peeking in as a child, but never imagined that he would enter the gates, let alone that his daughter would work here. You don't just work in the White (laughs) House, though. (laughs) You are the president's senior advisor. That is a huge deal. So, like, do you feel powerful? Is it, are you conscious of? I feel responsibility. Okay. Enormous responsibility to make sure that everything we do we are measuring it by what's in the best interest of people out there around our country who are who have small voices who are counting on us to be their voice. That's the pressure I feel. It doesn't translate into an exercise of power. It mm. translates into people are counting on us. They are out there struggling. They're trying to make ends meet. And they feel sometimes so frustrated when they look at the nonsense going on in Congress and they go, why can't our government work better? And so our job is to try to do everything within our power to make sure that the government is really working for the people. You're very good at not talking about yourself. (laughs) This is what I mean in our research. All right, so ask a question that um, I haven't answered. (laughs) Are people afraid of you? I hope not. I hope not. I think sometimes... I would like to read you a quote that Uh-oh. I love. Uh-oh. Also, let us preface this by saying... I want everyone to fear me. That is a me. great thing, <laughs> I think. Yeah. Okay, hold on. This quote is amazing. Uh-oh. From Vernon Jordan, a family friend of yours. No, a relative. He's married to my cousin. Yes. What did he He's say? He's quoted in the New York Times as saying, what Valerie developed is the art of telling people to go to hell and making them look forward to the trip. So, that's question. A, that's a compliment. Question one, how? That's <laughs> how do I do that? That's <laughs> a compliment. Well, so I think what Vernon meant by that is, is that, look, sometimes people have, they think we can do everything for them, anything and everything, right? And so sometimes we have to disappoint people. And I try to do it in the nicest possible way. Mm. So, because they're counting on us and they're hoping for a yes, and sometimes the yes is a no. And so I do spend time thinking of thoughtful ways of saying no to people so it's not actually saying go to hell it's really (laughs) it's really much more i'm so sorry but we can't yeah do that yeah for black women people tend to overlook us for one they tend to underestimate us definitely exactly exactly and i think that when people in power are afraid of black women it's because they recognize the power and potential in us to fuck up their privilege. You know what I mean? And I feel like you have that power, firstly. And in everything we've read, all of the reporting has been 
she butts heads with Axelrod and Ron yes, Emanuel. That is a fade and, and for it's hard to tell whether oh, the language is definitely. Overrated. I mean, the reporting—it's hard oh, to really? tell. Say, say more. This is this is the thing. I think what you really want is to be respected, hmm. not always to be liked. Although I do try to be decent to people, but you want people to respect you. And I think that oftentimes, and you know, look, I started my career as a lawyer. I worked at a big law firm. There weren't very many people who looked like me at either of the two firms that I looked at. And I think sometimes women generally, black women too, are underestimated and overlooked. And sometimes you'll say, have you ever been in a, in a meeting? This used to happen to me all the time. You'll say something and everybody kind of ignores it. And then a man says the same thing. Listen. And everybody goes, oh, what a good idea. <laughs> so part of it is you have to find your own voice and mm. you have to command respect. And so I would rather people respect me than fear me. And I've worked hard to earn that respect. Uh, and the team that we have here at the White House is very collegial. And I, you know, I've read books about prior White Houses and how combative they are. And I will tell you, some of my closest friends I work with here and people when we you've been through the last seven years with people it's a real test of character and fortitude and integrity but it's also notable that you've stayed such a long time and they haven't you guys can't see the Ooh. face but there was a <laughs> mic drop that just happened you well, you know what coming in I said look I am um at the stage in my life where my daughter's grown and married and has her own job and I'm not married, and um, and I love the president and first lady dearly. They're close, two of my closest friends, I, and I love our country. So for me, this is the pinnacle of my life. I can't imagine anything I could do that would mean more to me than this. Mm -hmm. And so why wouldn't I stay until the absolute last moment? I serve at his pleasure, but I will stay here for as long as he has me. So it never, it never would have occurred to me to leave. But then a lot of people who have left had other things tugging at them. I'm not sure they were always leaving voluntarily, too. Ooh. But that's maybe a different story. Ooh, all okay. right. Keep no looking. So moving on. <laughs> um, so we wanted to talk a little bit about like you and where you came from. We did find out that you were born in Iran to black parents. Your father was a doctor and he moved to Iran because it was easier for him to get work as a doctor then. And we also read that... You being lighter than most of the other people in Iran made you very confused as to like why you My were identity. considered the black one. You know <laughs> what I'm saying? Like, hold on, time you have out. You've done your you know? research. What did you learn about race when you were like young? Like, yeah, I'm sure that was, like your father's yeah. experience had him impart some very specific things to yeah, you. Yeah, so so let me tell you a little bit about my dad and my mom. So my dad, as I said, grew up here in Washington. He went to Howard for college and um, Howard for medical school. Mm -hmm. And then he went to um, Chicago and he got a residency at um, St. Luke's Hospital in Chicago. And it was a very prestigious hospital back there. But he was the first African-American to be a physician there. And so they wouldn't allow him to li live in the resident dorms because those were for white only. And they told him he had to come in the back door. So he said, okay, mm, I'll go live. physical back door. Physical back door. So he said, okay, I will live in the, you know, I'll live in an apartment somewhere else. But I'm a physician. I am not walking in the back door. I'm coming right. in the front door. So mm -hmm. the first day of work, he walked in the front door. And everybody was like, oh, my gosh, what's going on? And he never thought a thing about <laughs> Look it. Look at this Negro wanting to do surgery. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> what? Exactly. What's going on? So then the next day when he showed up at work, 
all of the staff at the hospital, from the orderlies to the nurses to the administrators who were black, were standing at the steps of the front door waiting for him. Wow. And they all walked in with him. Oh, that is beautiful. Isn't that a beautiful story? And so he told me that story as a young age in the context of how you have to stand up for yourself. Mm -hmm. If you want people to respect you, back to our earlier conversation, you have to earn it, but you also have to demand it. You can't expect that somebody's just going to sit around and give you something. You have to be willing to to take it. And so when he uh, was in the Army, right before he was um, honorably discharged, he was looking for jobs around the country, to your point. And he was finding that the pay that was being offered to him was at a rate that was lower than his white counterparts. Mm -hmm. And so he and my mom were adventuresome spirits, and they said, look, let's just look for a job outside of the United States, and we don't have children, we can travel. And so he looked at a variety of different jobs, and at that point in time, the Shah of Iran, at that point, Iran was a real close ally to the United States, and he was determined to improve the medical care in Iran. And so my father went and helped start um, a hospital in Shiraz, Iran. And I was the second baby born in that hospital. Aww. And so to your question about race, it was very hard for my parents to explain to me that I was, at that point, Negro, when I was fairer skinned than a lot of the Iranians. And the Iranians looked at us as Americans. They didn't look at us as African-Americans. Mm. or We were all Americans to them. Were you familiar with their like racial language for their categories? Or if they had them in the same way? They really didn't have categories the mm. way we do here. Mm. And so my parents talked about it, and it was important to them that I understand my heritage and who, who we are as African-Americans. And so they thought the culture difference was more than I could take. And we didn't have any other family or friends there who were black. And so, and I think my mom, frankly, got homesick. And mm. so we decided to move back to Chicago where her mother lived and her sister and a lot of our relatives But before we moved back to Chicago, we moved to London for a year. In the year I was at London, I developed this English accent. But but now listen to this. If you can imagine, I go to Chicago. I start in public school. I had been given a really good education when I was in Iran and in in London. And so I was supposed to be by age in kindergarten, and they put me in second grade. Mm. So here I am, young, with an English accent, (laughs) fair, People were so confused about me. They didn't know <laughs> what like, to think. Were you Speaking Farsi. Well, you know what? Children don't want to be different. Mm-hmm. And within, I would say, my mother would say, a couple of weeks, I had lost that English accent. Wow. <laughs> I was not talking. Yo, I wasn't so speaking real. Farsi anymore. <laughs> I was trying to be just like everybody else. Mm. So that is fascinating. Born overseas, lived overseas, came back to Chicago, spent a lot of time in Chicago. Speaking of Chicago, it's kind of a hot mess right now. Um, It's tough. Especially surrounding, like, yeah, surrounding the mayor and the Laquan McDonald investigation. It's it's a mess. That video, I have to tell you, I had to sit myself down and give myself a real talking to before I looked at it Mm -hmm. because I I just didn't, as a mom, I wasn't sure I could watch it. Mm -hmm. And I thought to myself, I owe it to him to look at it. Yeah. And the first time I looked at it, it, I've said this before, it was like a hot poker in my mm. stomach. And each time I've seen it, it's been the exact same feeling. And yeah. I just think it about, goes away. you know, how could that, how could that happen to a young, young man? Mm-hmm. Boy, he's not even an adult yet. He's yeah. 17 years old, kid. Well, what's notable about the video, in addition to like the horror, mm-hmm. is the way we've been learning recently 
that people have covered it up or made attempts to delay releasing it for as long as possible. One of the things that's been reported is that it happened coincidentally (laughs) so near to Mayor Emanuel's election cycle. Mm. In general, the, the conversation about it has been who knew what and who didn't want the the video release because it directly was in conflict with, with, with the police report. Yeah. Well, let's take a step back from that because, as you know, after Ferguson, mm. when Michael Brown was killed, the president created this 21st century task force to take a look at what we could do to improve the relationship between police and the communities that they are there to serve and protect. And if you look at the recommendations of that task force, cities and states that adopt them are going to be able to avoid a lot of these problems. So the good news is there you had a body camera Mm -hmm. because it shouldn't be who said he said. You know, Michael Brown, there was no video. And so we don't actually have the same kind of visual that you had with McDonald. The other thing is we want to make sure that police have the training that they need. I mean, we have to recognize the vast majority of police, they're putting, well, all the police, they're putting their life on the line every day. They're going out in the streets. They're having to make split-second decisions um, where they are scared for their own life and scared for the public's life. I mean, I'm We a need wary. them to be trained oh, better, don't you think? What are you I, worried I, about? Certainly, I agree. Um, I'm a little weary of the conversations about cameras because one of the things that's significant about this moment is that we now have more footage, but nothing seems to be particularly different. Well, he was indicted. That may not have happened had we not had a camera, because if you think about it, what the police said right away is is that he was lurching towards them. Right. So without the video to show that he was actually lurching away, he probably wouldn't have been indicted. And so I think the transparency that comes from the cameras is important. I think the training is essential, and too many police are out on our streets without what they need to be prepared for those kind of split-second decisions that they need to make. Mm. We need um, a lot better data collection to look at trends of crimes and what's happening and where. Uh, another thing that came out of Ferguson, for example, is that the number, and this doesn't get to the to the violence that leads to death, but the number of people who were picked up for tail pipe problem or license plate mm-hmm. or the sticker's not on or the blinker's not right. working. And these nickel and dime charge penalty charges, fees, mm-hmm. that when you can't afford to pay them, turn into a penalty that's doubled. And when you can't afford that, then you ha- you get picked up because there's a warrant for your arrest. And then you're taken to jail because you can't afford bail. And the impact that all of this is having on communities that are poor is devastating. And so we want to just be as transparent as we can when we find out situations like that because it puts pressure for change. And I think part of the, the broader point I'm trying to make here is, is that people now are finding out what's going on in communities all across our country. They're demonstrating peacefully. Mm-hmm. We've seen so many peaceful mm-hmm. demonstrations. We, I don't think we get sufficient credit to the demonstrators who are out there in the Absolutely. cold in Chicago, mm-hmm. all over all over, demonstrating, trying to say, we want change. Yeah, certainly. I feel like, especially the Chicago conversation, the fact that it's even gotten this momentum is due to all the organizers. It's wonderful organizers who are out there just trying to make their city better. A lot of journalists have, through the Freedom of Information Act, gotten the emails from Ron Manuel. And it shows that he knew about it earlier than he said, and that it shows there was a difference between what the police said and what actually happened. Do you think Rahm Emanuel should resign? 
Well, I'm going to say this too, and it's going to not satisfy you, but it's as not, you know, you can, you can feel it coming. <laughs> so, as you know, the um, Loretta Lynch, the Attorney General, has announced that she's taking a look into the situations in right. Chicago, and so I really shouldn't comment on Chicago in particular because it's under that investigation of hers. So I know that doesn't satisfy you, but I think the good news is is that she's looking at the practices that are going on there to try to figure out what should happen. Mm-hmm. The good thing about the Justice Department is is that they can go in, and if they see a trend, for example, they can require the local city government and the police force to enter into a consent decree with them to make changes. And without those changes, there can be other consequences. So that's the advantage of having a Justice Department that's able to say, we're here to ensure that the liberties and freedoms of average citizens are protected. Are you optimistic? I'm always optimistic. I am. I do believe in change. And I, and I believe that sometimes it's painful. Sometimes there are huge personal sacrifices, as we've seen. But ultimately, I think, as Martin Luther King said, the arc of the moral universe is long, but it does bend towards justice. Mm-hmm. Did you read Ta-Nehisi Coates' book? I did. I did. And I had a great conversation with him this summer. We were in Aspen together. A very notable departure from... I think a lot of conversations about race is he doesn't believe the arc of the moral universe bends towards justice. It bends towards chaos. I know. I know. And I think maybe it's a result of our different life experiences. We had that conversation and I I think he he is much more pessimistic than I am. I really do think the better angels prevail, particularly when you have transparency and you have will. And I believe that the change takes time, and maybe because I'm considerably older than he is, I appreciate... I mean, I'll give you a good example. If you go back and take a look at the speech that the president gave in Selma at the 50th anniversary of the march across the Edmund Pettus Bridge, a lot has happened in our country for good since then. I mean, my goodness, a lot of positive things have happened. 50 years is a long time, but mm-hmm. in the total arc, it's not that long. And so if you look at Um, rights for African-Americans, rights for women, rights for the LGBT community. We've made great strides, like a thunderbolt. But it does take time. So yeah, we had had that very conversation. I'm much more optimistic than he is. I want to ask you one quick question before we move into Pew Pew Pew. The reason we're here, the reason the Obamas are here, is essentially because you take mentoring very seriously. That's how you all met. That's true. And you put President Obama on to everyone in the Chicago community. That's how Obama and Michelle, like, you know, it's all happened because you take very seriously the task of putting young people on, putting them in your Rolodex to have them make sure they meet each other. Yeah. Like, why is that so important to you? Was there a spreadsheet? Like, what made, like, also, what? how can we get into this Rolodex? <laughs> yeah, what's the list? How do I get on the Look list? It up. Well, I'll tell you a story. When I um, finished college, I had this plan. I was going to go right to law school. When I finished law school, I was going to get a job uh, either at the government or a law firm. I was going to fall madly in love. I was going to have a baby before I was 30 because that biological clock was Girl, ticking. Oh, my God. Right don't, don't do this. Let me don't it. do this. But no, but the moral <laughs> of my story is this. At age 32, I had gone to law school. I was at a very prestigious law firm. I had married literally the boy next door who grew, whose mother grew up in the same apartment building with my mother. Hmm. Known him my whole life. I had a daughter at 28. I did all of the things in my plan, mm-hmm. and I was sitting in a beautiful office 
in what was then called the Sears Tower in Chicago, looking at Lake Michigan. And I cried. Mm. I just broke down and cried because I was miserable. And I was leaving my daughter every day and going to do something that was unfulfilling to me. And a dear friend of mine who I just saw when I was home in Chicago said to me, you should consider government service. Harold Washington, first African-American mayor of Chicago, had just been reelected. And he said, why don't you go do public service? You will care about it. And in public service, he and another woman became my mentors. Mm. The woman, my client, was the first person who told me to ask for my own promotion. Mm. Have either of you ever asked for promotion? Listen, uh, oh my God, let's not get into this. <laughs> That's another story. That's <laughs> that chapter two. Um, story. When we come back, to go Listen, to happy we'll talk about that. <laughs> okay, well, it would never in my struggle. wildest dreams mm. occurred to me to have the courage to ask for promotion. And not only did she tell me once, she told me twice and three times and four. She kept pushing me to go and ask for a promotion. And she's my client. She says, you've earned it. Go tell your mm. boss. And I remember I walked in there and I was scared to death. And I kept saying, Lucille, tell me I need to do this. <laughs> and I went through my list of why I should get a promotion. And he said, okay. Mm. Now, it doesn't always happen that way. But if it hadn't been for her pushing me and believing in me and the fact that I also have always worked for either clients or for employers who appreciated that I was a single mom and that I needed to be able to be that single mom. That's rare. And so I know it's very rare. And that experience taught me, mm. first of all, how much I owed them because I looked around at my friends who didn't have that situation and the loyalty and I worked twice as hard. But it also said to me, I need to do the same for other people. And when I was in my law firm, I really didn't have that kind of mentorship. And I was like a lost in a lost oasis out there. And so I pledged to myself that I would do better for people based on my life experiences. So that's why I try to take good care of the folks. So we're actually going to make PPPU, which is our rapid fire questions segment, actually rapid fire. We have some great questions. Okay. So let's go. Number one, what is your favorite Earth, Wind & Fire song? Me? So the reasons is that we're here. Okay. All right. Um, if you could win a lifetime supply of anything, what would you want to do? Oh, that's easy. Ice cream. Mm, what's your favorite type of ice cream? Chocolate, vanilla, and coffee. All three. Isn't nice. that funny? All I three thought you were going to say strawberry. I would I prefer like, uh-uh. all three in one bowl. No, I don't like strawberry. <laughs> strawberry, you should get out. Either. I don't like get it. It's never get had. But I would put all three of those in one bowl, and I could live on that. Okay. I'll let you guess which one of us made this question up. Would you rather... <laughs> It was Tracy. (laughs) Clearly. (laughs) Clearly. She tried to disavow it at first. It's a good question, though. Just just roll with me on this one. Would you rather have a digitally blurred face like criminals on TV Mm -hmm. (laughs) or have the limited range of motion of a Barbie doll? Because, you know, they don't have elbows and, like, knees. (laughs) And so they just, I don't want limited limited motion. No, I think I'll go for the blur. Particularly the older you get, the blur is okay. (laughs) It's true. It's true. You don't want those bright lights so much anymore. You'll see them. Ladies, Listen, see. no, that's real. I already, you'll I already see. feel that. Um, how do we get a cameo on The Good Wife? This is the most Let important me tell you question. Something. I love that show. Listen, Same. and I'll say this to your fans of the show: 
Oh my gosh, the people, the cast, mm. they are nicer in person than but you could ever no. imagine. They are really <laughs> so <laughs> sweet. I feel like you're not getting you to like, the point. Can you like put in a word for I'd be happy like, to. I would in. be happy to. Oh my God, these girls have a great podcast. It was so <laughs> much fun. And the only reason why I did it, other than I just love the show, is that I was able to go on and talk about an issue I care about, which is getting women involved in politics. Mm-hmm. And so I helped talk Alicia into running. It didn't end up, you know so good in the end spoiler <laughs> alert great show love yes. being on i can't wait to go back again uh, take us with you okay as far as i know you're the only white house advisor who's been on 105.1 for the breakfast club am i as far as i know you must be <laughs> who is your favorite rapper oh my gosh it's okay if you don't listen to rap but if you do i i do need to know I like jay-z okay I like jay-z you got a favorite song not really but you know what Kendrick Lamar was just here too. You know what? I was really impressed with him. He was here? He was at the White House. He came and he visited the president. And you know what the president said to him? Because he was a little nervous, bless his heart. He's really a very nice young man. And the president said, can you believe that we're both sitting in the Oval Office? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, I love story. We are over. I have to ask this last question. Would you rather have shrimp for fingers or breadsticks for toes? Like long breadsticks. Like all of garden breadsticks? Yes. Or are I, they unlimited? Well, would it affect the size of my shoe? Yes. <laughs> you gotta have enough room in your shoe because like if you just like squinched them down in there, you know it would hurt. Well, it's bread. That's a really bad choice, but, but I guess I will go for the breadsticks because more likely, wow. maybe people won't look down at my feet, but they're gonna see my <laughs> but they hands. Would notice, they, they would, would notice, notice my hands. <laughs> that is a terrible question to end on. <laughs> Well, Thank you for having me. And Tracy, <laughs> I will tell you, this has been like a pleasure of oh. my day. I appreciate you coming in. Come Absolutely. back again sometime. You're great. Do not extend me? that invitation because I will live we will in live this here. You'll come back. You'll I come will back. Sleep in that chair. I'm so glad you were able to come. Thank you so <laughs> much. Thank welcome. you so much for your time. So that happened. <laughs> Crazy. Yeah. Crazy. Thank I'm ready s- to go and advise everybody now. You, you are just like an advisor now? Do not you do that. <laughs> I advise you to not. Um, it's crazy to go from that to like our regular part of the show, but I know. it's time to buy rounds. <laughs> <laughs> Evan, who are you buying around for today? I am so glad you asked. <laughs> I am going to buy a round for Beyonce Giselle Knowles Carter. Oh. Now, the full government name. (laughs) I'm buying around specifically for the songs Bow Down and Flawless. Mm. I want to talk about those two songs for a second. Please talk to us about these. I want to set the setting too. Mm -hmm. This was right after Four dropped, one of her best albums, I would say. Mm -hmm. Probably my favorite personally. And there is just this long stretch of time where we're like, Beyonce will never give us another album. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like she just had her baby. And it's like, okay, she's already blessed us with a lot. So we should right. be grateful. We shouldn't even ask for more. <laughs> but at that time, we're like, Beyonce was good. Beyonce <laughs> was good. So out of nowhere, she drops Bow Down slash I've Been On. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I've Been On, wait. I forgot all about I've Been On. Exactly. So good. Exactly. At that time, also, important context, 
I don't understand how, but there's been so much conversation about if Beyonce's a feminist. So stupid. This I, the, the I really don't understand. Of so she dropped that. Like, Beyonce doesn't talk a lot in interviews. Mm-hmm. To understand Beyonce, you have to read between the lines. Mm-hmm. And as a black woman in America, <laughs> I'm well-versed in reading between right. the lines. <laughs> so you really have to, like, listen to her interviews to hear what she's saying. But it's basically, like, at that time, there's all these questions about her feminism. Mm-hmm. And, like, the first line of the song is... Um, I know when you were little girls, you dreamed of being in my world. Mm-hmm. Bow down. Right. And then the second one is like, um, I took some time to live my life, mm-hmm. but, but don't, don't think I'm just his little wife. It's mm-hmm. like, what the fuck? Right. Like, I'm out here slaying. Y'all have the nerve to right. question any of this? Directly addressing the haters. Yeah. So that was beautiful. Mm-hmm. And then the whole like uh, chopped and screwed part at the end. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Like she was like, um, y'all have met Sasha Fierce, you have not met Miss Third Ward. The capital B means I'm about that life. Mm -hmm. If you read between the lines, you ain't about that life. Mm. (laughs) White feminists, right? (laughs) (laughs) Comma white (laughs) feminists. We went from. From Bow Down, I've Been On, Mm -hmm. to another beautiful song (laughs) called Flawless. (laughs) She has gifted us twice. And the best part of that is when she dropped Bow Down, the same feminist conversations happened Mm -hmm. because people don't know how to listen. Beyonce said, bitch, she's not (laughs) a feminist. So she literally put a speech in the Mm -hmm. middle of a song. Right. With the definition of feminism. <laughs> and she went on the VMAs. Mm-hmm. Stood She's in front like, of a huge sign that said How feminist. big can you make the feminist? Right. <laughs> right. I love that she was like, she felt like bold enough to be like, what the fuck? Mm-hmm. How dare you? She would never say it that way. Right. But she but said it with her that way. Exactly. Yeah. It's like that time. <laughs> That's not where everybody was like, oh my God, Beyonce was lip singing the Star Spangled Banner. <laughs> and then she came out and like she did an acapella. She was just like, any questions? <laughs> everybody was like, no, no, we have no questions at all. Yes, but the crazy uh, thing is that even after all that, after her like tacitly saying, yes, I'm a feminist, get over it. Yeah. There was still all these conversations about, well, I don't think she's a feminist and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. What else does she have to do? My favorite part was she was like, I was just browsing YouTube about feminist videos. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a thing that Beyonce Same. does. I do that all the time. <laughs> so it's, yeah, I just want to, girl, I see you. Yes. Like, I feel like people f- feel like Beyonce is for everyone. And I feel strongly that Beyonce is for black girls. Mm-hmm. Oh, Beyonce is for black girls. Listen. Hashtag Beyonce is for black girls. I love it. This round's on me, Beyonce. If you're listening to this, please, please. Come through. Please Listen. do one interview just for me. I can assure you that this will be the best interview you've ever had in your life ever we won't hit you with the dumb questions Mm-mm. we won't come sideways we ain't got time for that you don't have time for that it'll be great thanks beyonce <laughs> in advance thanks in advance who are you running around for tracy prepare for a drastic change in tone and feeling <laughs> <laughs> i'm listening do you remember that time i bought around for wallets and you got upset because you've been trying to tell me to get a wallet forever. I do. And I was like, yeah. And then I got one and I was like, oh shit, wallets though. Wallets. Also, heaven knows everything. Heaven does know everything. That was the everything. conclusion. Hashtag heaven knows best. Um, so this might give you a similar feeling. Um, <laughs> okay. If you are just joining us here at another round, I 
in spite of hosting a podcast, am not a fan of podcasts. Rude, disrespectful. I still get man- out. <laughs> <laughs> I still maintain that it's just because I don't have the attention span for it. Like I just cannot sit and listen to just people talking for a really long time. That's allowed. You know, <laughs> as such. I am buying around for podcasts because I found some that I really like. So I get it now. I get how like when you have a podcast where the subject matter is just like right up your alley, like you can sit and listen to it and like maybe do other things. My favorite thing to do now is to listen to a good podcast and crochet. Oh, look at you, Trace. I know. I finally like found like two that I really like. Oh my God. And they're so, you won't think that they're fun because they're true (laughs) crime podcasts. Okay. I'm not which, already. <laughs> I know, which are currently like the only genre of podcasts mm-hmm. that I can like listen to. But I started listening to Criminal. Mm-hmm. Criminal is so good. I'm Phoebe Judge. This is Criminal. <laughs> <laughs> Criminal is a great podcast. I kind of don't know what this says about me, but the episodes that I like most are mm-hmm. the ones about like murder and like crimes and like horrible things mm-hmm. so is it a different crime every episode uh yes and like there's like different types and genres of crime and like sometimes it's not like examining the case of like one specific crime but like a phenomenon in like the mm. crime world or like the justice world or like a certain type of legal case something like that very very interesting but i listened to all of the murder episodes and i was like <laughs> mm, i need another true crime podcast to listen to <laughs> i tried serial last season i made it halfway through and i was like i don't remember enough of this stuff mm. to like keep up with the case it, yeah it definitely builds on information yeah and i do not have the attention span for that but i was googling true crime podcast and somebody was like um check out this podcast called sword and scale mm-hmm. it's terrifying and so addictive <laughs> so the tagline of the show was like um welcome to episode so-and-so of sword and scale a show that proves that the worst monsters are real or something oh like God. that i know <laughs> the cases that they talk about are all like there are some that like are too much for me wow to be able to listen to i know so amazing oh if you like God. true crime you will love this show i'm doing a really poor job it is it is it is like i, I often have to take breaks you are on the podcast right now. Me either. I feel, I feel like I had to petition for you to listen to another round. I know. I know. But wow. It's a brand new day, ever. ladies and gentlemen. I know. I'm still not at a point where I feel like I can honestly say that I like podcasts. because, <laughs> like, like right now, Tracy, seriously. Tracy, we have a podcast. This You're one is, on it right now. This one is very cool. I like it. I like it. But if it were about true crime, I might like it a little bit more. Wow. That's currently like the only like... I haven't branched out into like non-true crime podcasts. Do yet. you want a true crime segment? You uh, just investigate mm. murders? <laughs> I would enjoy that nobody else would. <laughs> oh my god. Um, but really it's so good if you like true crime, if you are an investigation discovery addict like me, <laughs> and if you like podcasts, then definitely check out Sword and Scale. I never thought I'd see this day. Yay, podcast. Woo! So go listen to that and rewatch the Beyonce visual album, which is a gift to this earth. Mm-hmm. And listen to Bow Down. We did it, Tracy. Again. <laughs> Every time we do this, I'm surprised. It's unbelievable to me. <laughs> we want to give a big shout out to Valerie Jarrett for yes. giving us her time. Everyone right, you were at the running White the House. world right now. Listen. You were like, let me sit down with these two little black girls and talk. <laughs> Thank you. She's like, yeah, I'll drink with y'all. Yes. I'll grace you with my presence. Have a little nip. Have a little taste. <laughs> uh, shout out to the White House for... For letting us in. One for just letting us in. (laughs) But for seriously everything. For being so generous. And very gracious and accommodating. Yes. 
We also want to thank our White House reporter, Evan McMorris-Santoro. Yes. And shout out to Editor-in-Chief Ben Smith and Politics Editor Catherine Miller. Yes. And as usual, shout out to the Pod Squad. Pod Squad. This episode was produced by Eleanor Kagan with editorial oversight from Jenna Weiss-Berman. Production help from Meg Kramer and Julia Ferlin. We would like to thank our in-house musicians, Gene Gray and Don Will of the Almighty Tanya Morgan. You can follow Gene Gray on Twitter at Gene Greasy, and you can follow Don Will at D-O-N-W-I-L-L. Thanks to y'all. So, dear friends, as always, you can hit us on the buzz. <laughs> you can email us at anotherroundatbuzzfeed.com. You can follow us on Twitter. You can follow me at Brokey McPoverty because my bank account is sad. You can follow me at Heaven Rants because I talk a lot. <laughs> and she is so heavenly. <laughs> That's generous. <laughs> I can't believe my parents named me this. Aww. They were hopeful. <laughs> my, <laughs> my favorite thing is watching you introduce yourself to people and they're like, he- Heaven? <laughs> Are you an angel? <laughs> the number one thing that convinces me people don't think before they speak mm-hmm. is the way people respond to my name. <laughs> You didn't put a second of thought before <laughs> you blurted out what the first thing you thought was. Anyway, shout out to humans in general. Yay, humans. <laughs> if you like the show, rate us on iTunes, tell a friend, leave a leave a review. I was going to say little review again. <laughs> that debacle. If you don't like the show, just kindly just walk away. Yeah, we forgive you. <laughs> walk away. <laughs> it's allowed, but walk away. <laughs> And thank you so much to Tracy. Oh, my gosh. I feel so sane when you're around. Oh, and gosh. I would not have felt sane in the White House. <laughs> <laughs> and shout out to Optimus Prime. I would have just run around screaming. <laughs> and just would have left all of my home training. So thank you for making me take my home training with you. <laughs> you can take us some places. <laughs> we're going to drink some water. Call your mama. And take your meds, y'all. Ugh. Take care of yourselves. Yes. If you're having trouble with your resolutions already, it's okay. It's okay. Be kind to yourself. You got this. We believe in you. Thanks, y'all. Bye. Ah. Young Tracy on the mic. Young Hieronymus. <laughs> uh. Hey. Hey. Hit me on the buzz. Hey. Hit me on the buzz. Hey. Hit me on the buzz. Hey. On the motherfucking buzz. Hey. Hit me on the buzz. Hey. Hit me on the buzz. Hey. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> Already ringtone link. Yes, that's all you need. Wait, the beat just dropped. <laughs> oh, I did it just so. <laughs> and this is why we're not rappers. This is exactly we'll why. We'll stick to podcasts. <laughs> Drop the mic. Hello. <laughs>